to the Lord and to see everybody here worshiping, worshiping the Lord, and that's what it's about. The Bible says that the Scripture is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. It's also for rebuke and training in righteousness. Um, so, without further ado, let's begin. Title of today's message is Consequences. It's just another name for judgment. Just another name for or it can be another name for judgment. Let's put it that way. Before we begin, I want to give you a couple of stories about people who face some consequences for their actions or, or the lack thereof for their actions or someone else's actions that they're receiving consequences for. A pastor's walking down the street one day, and now you know that's, that, that's not talking about me because I drive. I don't walk down the street. But a pastor's walking down the street one day, and he notices a very small boy trying to press a doorbell on a house across the street. Okay. The boy is very small, and the doorbell is just too high for him to reach. And after watching the boy's efforts for some time, the pastor moves closely to the boy's position. He steps across the street, walks up behind the little guy, and places his hand kindly on his shoulders, leans over, and rings the doorbell. Now crouching down to the child's level, the pastor smiles, and he says, Now what, my little man? To which the boy replies, Now we run! (laughs) A baker was asked to print 1 John 4.18 on a wedding cake. He forgot the verse and instead printed the Gospel of John, verse four, or chapter 4, verse 18. Now, 1 John 4, 18 reads, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, which is a great verse for a wedding cake. But you see, that's not what was printed on that cake. Unfortunately, the baker put the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 18 on there, and it reads, For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. So, that's a problem. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're back there. Now, Paul preached the gospel in Corinth for about 18 months and around 50 AD. And he had some pretty fierce opposition. But he stayed in the city because the Lord told him to. He said, I have many people there. So he taught them the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 reads in the New King James, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drank and rose up to play. Sounds a lot like today in America. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. 
Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am excited about the work that you're doing here in First Baptist Church in Mineola. I am excited, Lord, about your power that just seems to show up almost every Sunday, Lord. I'm excited that lives are being changed. I'm excited that people are coming to know you in, in our midst. And Lord, we just ask that you would let your rivers of living water flow from us this morning and throughout the rest of the week. Lord, those who are not here due to some reason or illness or sickness or whatever, we ask, Lord, that you would heal them so that they could join us again, that you would take care of their problems so that they could come again. Lord, we ask that, that you would bring in the people, Lord, from the north, the south, the east, and the west, that you are calling here, and we know that, they, that you are God. And we praise you, Lord, that you would use us in any way, small, though it may be sometimes. You are still at work, and you are still on your throne. And so, God, we surrender ourselves to you today. Say, forgive us of our many sins. Forgive us of what we should be doing and haven't done. Lord, bring it to our attention that we may confess it, repent of it, and walk the right way. And we thank you for it all in Jesus' mighty name, the strong Son of God in the church said, Amen. Our principle for today is, you know, Christians can still face consequences for our sins, but God made a way for us to escape our temptation to sin. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13, the New Living says this, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us, so that we would not crave evil things as they did. Or worship idols, as some of them did. As the scripture says, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality, as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and then died from snake bites. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Has 
This is the question for you today, dear Christian. Has Paul stopped talking to and about other Christians in his letter? This letter was written to Christians. This letter was written to those who were called by the name of Christ. They were followers of of the way as it was known. He's talking about all of these calamities that befell the people of Israel as they left the land of Egypt for their sins and that it was an example for us, the Christian, as in things not to do. Do not be caught in these sins, you who have become Christians, who have tasted of the Spirit of God, who have become regenerate in His presence. The Christian can and still does sin even today. Did you know that? Just because you're a Christian, it does not excuse your actions. Sin is still sin, and God still says, stop it. They all ate the same spiritual and physical food in the desert. And that was called manna from heaven. Jesus here is compared to manna and water because he gives life. John 6.32 says, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Verse 37, or John chapter 7, verse 37, continuing on, he says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow living rivers of water. Now, there are a lot of people who will say, well, well, he was just talking in parables. That's all that is. He isn't being literal. Well, obviously, in a sense, you're right. But in another sense, you're completely wrong. You see, if you had that born again experience, you know that you were changed In an instant, you can feel the spiritual difference. It's almost real. It's almost tangible. It's almost like touching this water. This change, the spiritual experience, is one that you're supposed to keep drinking from. It's one that you're supposed to keep eating the manna from. You go back to Jesus daily to receive more of his grace and power. To experience him. And when we are in sin, we stop that work in us. We do. That experience seems to wane and even go away a little bit until we repent. Let me tell you something. Anytime a Christian has ever come to me, and nobody's done that here, thank God, and said, Pastor, I'm not being spiritually fed anymore. I'm going to another church. If you're not being spiritually fed by what is being preached out of the scriptures here, then the problem lies with you. Now, does that mean I'm going to automatically dismiss you? Of course not. I'm going to make sure that I'm preaching the word of God. Black ink, white paper. But you need to examine yourself 
and make sure you're right with God. You see, coming to church on a Sunday is not your spiritual duty. It's not where you, uh, okay, I've clocked in, I've done my duty, I'm going to go home now. That's not what it's about. This is where you come to be fed, nourished, and to worship the holy God as a congregation, as a people called by his name. So that you can go out and do the work. So that you can go out and witness for what God has done in you. Look at verse 5. In that chapter it says, Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, we are subject to judgment just as they were for their sins. God forgives sins, yes, but sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes there is a physical consequence or judgment that still must happen, that still gets paid. Let me say it another way. Just because you have been saved of an eternity in torment, it doesn't mean that every sin you commit or every sin of omission moving forward will not have some kind of consequence or judgment on it. Thank God that not every sin that we repent of does do that because we'd be dead in a heartbeat. But sometimes there is still consequences for our actions. Remember, James said, the tongue is but a little thing, but it sets ablaze a forest and set on fire by hell. Words cannot be undone. Not completely. But what else cannot be undone? What else does God have judgment on that there's some kind of consequence for? Habitual sins. And so many Christians are guilty of so many habitual sins. I have seen a a gossip who will admit they were a gossip and they were trying to stop, but it was so hard for them because that was their thing. They like the power. There are habitual sins that we must deal with. Those sins that just seem to linger on and hang on for a while. The problem is that if we keep holding on to the habitual sin, then surrender to it and quit fighting against sin, then you can bet you're going to have some very real consequences in this life. The most obvious and most precious consequence and the worst thing is that you are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. It is a kind of, of hindrance or a stop to your soul. It can cause you emotional, spiritual, and even physical issues. One of them being depression. Why depression? Because you know what it's like to walk with God. And then all of a sudden, that river, that newness, that power is significantly decreased in your life because you're in sin and you won't let it go and you can't and you, you just give up. You know. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That means that though you may be saved, you can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's a command. Don't grieve God. Sin grieves God. Repent of sin. Turn away from it. 
come back into right relationship with Jesus. Let me give you a very real sin that has very real problems for both clergy and the layman, and that is pornography. I would not normally preach on this. But folks, it's a problem in churches all across America. It is perverse, it is a sin, and it is evil. Matthew 5, 27 says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. You know, a while ago I was online and I I read these Christian threads of, of people talking and asking questions and things of that nature. And this was a spiritual discussion amongst people about threads. And it somehow got in, this man got on there and he stated that his addiction to that stuff was so bad that he couldn't walk by his computer room without being sucked into that evil for eight to ten hours at a time. He lost his job, he lost his wife, and he lost his kids, not once, but twice. Here's some statistics on this that should shock you. 47% of families in the United States have reported it is a problem in their home. And yet it's not talked about in churches. The use of it by men or women increased the adultery rate by more than 300%. 56% of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in it. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view it on a regular basis. That's not have seen it, but actively view it. Seek it out. This sin doesn't just affect men, though. And it's becoming an epidemic among women, and it's a growing addiction for them. 31% of women 18 to 34 purposely watch it. One out of three women will watch it at minimum once a week. That's just the minimum. Only 13%, this ought to scare you, Only 13% of Christian women say that they don't watch it on a regular basis or have seen it. That leaves 87% of Christian women who do watch. Now, talking about the United States again, 50%, that's half of all women in the United States, say that it is a perfectly acceptable thing to be involved in. When did that change? And we'll get to this in an upcoming chapter, but 1 Corinthians 6.18, or we got to this in a previous chapter, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, run from sexual sin. No other sin as clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Now, I've been looking at counseling books from a Christian perspective, and I do this regularly as part of my ongoing education as a pastor. You need a pastor who's up to date, on what's going on in people's lives, who can relate. And so I do that. I believe that when you stop learning, you stop living. 
be a lifelong student. Everyone should be lifelong learners. There is new research that is showing that your brain, which has electrical impulses that work along neural pathways like a road, when one is exposed and bound up in this particular sin, it literally creates new neural pathways in your physical brain, just like a drug. Your dopamine levels increase, which is the same thing that a drug does on the brain. It literally rewires how you think. Studies show that those involved in this sin become desensitized to it and need more and more to get a better high. If you've ever met someone on drugs who then comes off drugs and stays off it for more for a year or more, you will know that their personality literally changes and always for the better when they're off. The same is true with this particular sin. It's not just that doing this circumvents your normal response to your spouse. It's not that it's taking your time away from those who need you and want to be with you and love you. It's not just the fact that it opens you up to more and more and greater sin in the physical arena, but you are literally changing who you are, who God has created you to be, and who God wants you to be. You are messing yourself up spiritually, emotionally, physically, and relationally. God wants better for us. He didn't want to stop your fun. He wants you to live to your best potential. Sin as I've said before, will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. 1 Corinthians 10, 7 says, And do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell for it. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also were tempted and were destroyed. Nor complained, as some of them also complained and were destroyed. Now all these things happened to them as examples. They were written for our, on our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Folks, if we keep doing the same thing the same way we've always done it, we're going to get the same results. Why do we not learn from those who come us, who've already been down that path? Don't be idolaters. Do you know what idolatry is? It's putting anything in front of your priorities toward God. Anything. That could be your car, your motorcycle, your boat, your wife, even your kids in front of God. They can become an idol to you. That has consequences for your life. True consequences. You will make decisions that you shouldn't make. I've seen many a parent become their kid's best friend, not their parent. I've seen many a Christian man actually worship their wife, believe it or not. She don't want to go to church, he ain't going to church. She wants to do something, well, he's going to do it. He's going to make it happen, even if he's got to go into debt for it. We are not to tempt Christ. Don't walk out of here and say to yourself, I know what the preacher said, but I don't believe him. I'm going to do what I want. Christian, that is a mistake. 
Deuteronomy 6.16 says, You must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massah. We are not to complain to God about everything he provides. And how often have you done it? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. I want to think the best of you. But how often have you done that? They complained about the manna God provided, but they wanted meat. They complained later that there were giants in the land that God had provided them. And he said, I will take care of them. I will meet your needs. And they complained. Some people complain about everything. They don't know how to be content. I think some people complain just because they like the sound of their own voice. It's like, God, thanks for the car. I want a bigger one, better one. God, thanks for the house. I'd like a bigger one. God, thanks for my husband, but I just can't stand when he does blank. You fill in the blank. Same thing, husbands. You do it too. God, thanks for my wife, but I can't stand it when she blank. These things were written down for us to have a warning to not be like the people of God during their time on this earth that were destroyed. That generation did not see the promised land. That generation died off. Their children inherited it. Do you know they were only like something like 12 to 15 days away from it, from Egypt to the promised land? Something like that, some ridiculous number, and they, they wandered for 40 years. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ouch. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of the Old Testament is still the God of the New Testament. Don't think your sins will not be judged in some way just because you're a Christian. Don't think that there will be consequences for your actions. There are a lot of times that God nullifies consequences, but sometimes they're still there. Luke 12, 2 says, The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. Whatever you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Trust me, you don't ever get away with evil. It comes out. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure it. I have seen many a married Christian person, many a pastor say that they wouldn't cheat on their spouse no matter what. They were so arrogant that they didn't put in safeguards or keep their guards up and they ended up falling. Now, my marriage is by no means perfect. However, when you leave out of here, you let your wife know how perfect I am, okay? Because some days I need that. I'm just kidding. I'm just going to say, however, um, most adultery starts because one of the spouses shares their heart about things that it's, that's really troubling them with other people or with one other person. And they create a bond there that's not their spouse. 
Now, we made a commitment long ago that we don't bear our hearts to anyone other than each other. If the thing that's bothering us is the other one, well, then we decided that we would go to Christian counseling. We would seek a professional Christian counselor, whether that be a pastor or other spiritual leader or, or even a Christian counseling association. That's it, no one else. We do not spend time with someone of the other opposite sex without another person present. These are safeguards that should be in effect. Remember, whatever your temptations are to sin, you whatever that sin may be. Temptations in and of itself aren't sin. But when we entertain that temptation, then it becomes sin. You, me, you have the power to force yourself to think about what you choose. Did you know that? You can literally say, nope, in Jesus' name, I cast that thought out of my mind and choose to think about something else. You can do it. How do I know? Because I've done it. It's biblical, too. 2 Corinthians 10.3 For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You can do it. The thing that we must remember is that temptation cannot be overcome by brute force or strength of will, but it can be escaped from. You don't take someone who was once an alcoholic to a bar to witness for Christ. They've got to escape from that situation. You don't take an ex-drug addict to a dope dealer to witness for Christ. Now you've done two things. You put them in a situation they shouldn't be in, and now you've introduced them to a dope dealer they didn't get their dope from. That'll become a temptation. Let them escape from it. If you have a problem with foolish jokes, dirty joking or cursing or whatever, you don't go down to the naval yard and hang out with the Navy guys. Your typical stereotypical ones, that is. Because you might fall right back into that sin. Because it was a sinful habit. Remember, with every temptation, though, there is a way of escape. If you don't see it right away, ask God to show it to you. And trust me, he will. Trust me, he will. If you remember nothing, remember this. As a Christian, we can still have consequences for our sin. But God made a way for us to escape our temptation to sin. The question becomes then, as the ladies come, How do you overcome sin? Well, the first thing is, is only by relying on the power of Jesus, by the word that he left us. And if you don't have Jesus, then you don't have his power. Some will say, but pastor, I go to AA and I haven't drank a drop in 20 years. Yeah, but you go to AA how many times a week? Three, four, five? And you don't think you're enslaved by that? 
You just replaced one thing with another. Granted, it's a better thing, but we want to be free. We want to be free in Christ. We want to be free from our sin. How do we do that? By coming to know the Lord Jesus personally, experientially. By acknowledging, Jesus, I am a sinner. My sin separates me from you. I need you. I know that you died for my sin. I know you rose on the third day. You took my punishment so that I might be seen right with God. That's how. And then you say, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Master. Be my Savior. And mean it with everything that's in you. And there will be a change. Christian, if you're stuck in habitual sin, let me tell you, you can get out of it. But it's going to require you to submit to Jesus. Because he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You can get out of it. Whether it requires Christian counseling to help you. Whether it requires coming to know uh, somebody to have you accountable to, whether it requires whatever it requires. The first thing that it requires is you to submit and humble yourself to the one who can free you, and that's Jesus. If you don't know the Lord, you'd like to accept him as your personal Lord and Savior, whether it's on the internet or right here in the building, I'll be glad to pray with you. You can contact us on our website if you're on the internet. But I'd be glad to pray with anybody who wants to receive Christ down here today. I can introduce you, but I can't save you. He does that. If you need special prayer, we can do that too. I'll pray with you. Where two or more agree touching anything, it will be given to them. One could put a thousand to flight, two could put ten thousand, the scripture says. We can do that. If you'd like to join this church by letter, by statement, or baptism, we can do that too today. If you, while we stand and sing the invitation hymn, get your heart right with God. If you have to, make an altar where you're at. Miss Joe.